Well, there's many characters, people, in the Bible that we've spoken about over the years. And today I'm going to take a shot at a couple more. So today my message is about the wise men. So I'm going to start at the end of the Christmas story, kind of work that to the front of the Christmas story, and you will be a part of the Christmas story. So, and I will have two questions. One will be at the beginning that pertain to the wise men, and the other will be pertaining to you. So the story is about the Magi, or the wise men as we call them. So we pick up the story today in Matthew 2 and 1. And it says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, which is about uh, five miles south of Jerusalem, and to distinguish this Bethlehem from the other towns with the same name, like St. John, St. John, St. John, and Main, Main Street, Main Street, Main Street, Main Street, um, Matthew added in Judea. And it was during the reign of King Herod. And while there were many Herods that are mentioned in the Bible, this was Herod the Greek, who was ruled, who ruled from 37 BC to 4 BC. So now as we continue in Matthew 1, the main characters of this part of the story is um, we pick up is the Magi from the east. They came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who was born the king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Such an easy line to dismiss. They came from the east. East St. John, eastern New Brunswick, Manitoba. We're going west now, so we got to go the other way to Newfoundland and, and go over. But they came from the east. It kind of reminds me of the line from Genesis 1.16 where he says, God, he also made the stars. The stars, 100 trillion of them what there is. We do not know much about them. They were not kings. Tradition says they were men of high position from Parthia near the ancient city or site of ancient Babylon. The book of Daniel refers to the wise men of Babylon in Daniel 2, 12 to 18. We refer to there being three, but the Bible does not say that. We just kind of link it to the three gifts that were mentioned. The wise men said they had seen Jesus' star. Now as I look up into the sky, I can pick out some formations, even some planets. But the focus on a particular one is stretching it. And as we will find out, it wasn't just for one night. In the Old Testament, a man named uh, Balaam referred to the star rising from Jacob, and in Numbers 24, 17, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel, and he will crush the foreheads of Moab and the skulls of all the sons of Sheth. Balaam was not a follower of God, but this shows us that God can use anyone even a sorcerer, to accomplish his plans. Not that he was backing that up or saying that's good, but he was taking something or someone that wasn't, and he was using them for his purpose. So now the title of the message comes into play, Are We There Yet? 
It is written that they travel thousands of miles to, to see the king of the Jews. The trip where they had a rough idea where you were going, but not too sure of the roads that you may end up on or the trouble you may find. How many times did they say, are we there yet? And to find that star above them again saying, no, or almost, their faith comes into question. How strong were they in it? To travel maybe by luxurious camel down an old dirt or even a stone road. They may have even been carried, but nevertheless, it was thousands of miles. Do we see this? In the, uh, do we see ourselves in this scenario? How far would we have made it? Do we hear our own voices saying, are we there yet? Especially in our calling and our purpose. How many times do we see a time of potentially encouraging someone and think that someone else may, will say it? Or we're too tired to help? Or that's not my job and so on? Or is the pain or the illness ever going to end? The why me syndrome. We don't know exactly the distance or the conditions, but we do know it was worth their time and effort. All of us as parents have heard a thousand times from our children, are we there yet? And kind of forget that once we were there too, or ourselves. And our response depended on how many times we heard the question from soon, just around the corner, or if you ask one more time, we're turning around. It's funny, but I'm starting to ask the same questions now. So my journey, as we stretch it to another journey, becoming a Christian took a few years to reach to that point. Defiantly, I was saying I wasn't ready. Maybe it was just a pride thing, or I wasn't prepared to love others as expected. But now I get to experience that joy in my life the challenges that came and went. And I missed the true calling of giving my all. And we think of these wise men giving their all, surrendering totally to him. Jesus still loved me. But sometimes we don't see we are falling away or taking the road. And we lose sense of God in our life and give up. But it's not too late. If you're breathing, there's still time. I find myself wrestling with everything from, am I living according to his standards? Am I following Jesus or just playing the part? Sometimes I feel prompting of the Holy Spirit to do the task set before me and try not to complain or give all the reasons why I can't. That's your road. That's the road. When we think of the wise men as they're traveling, how many things would have been in their way? How many obstacles? going through different parts of the, the countryside. I find myself in one of those ruts every now and then, questions I have to answer, demands I have set up for myself, and other things that I'm asking, or people are asking me. I find myself trying to feel the peace within. And we're all traveling on this road seeking peace, not just for when Jesus returns, but of living every day believing in him. And in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. 
do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The end result of the Holy Spirit in our lives is deep and lasting peace. This peace is confident assurance in any circumstance with Christ. We have no need to fear the presence of the present or the future. Jesus says he will give us his peace if we are willing to accept it from him. But now it's the time to refocus back on the trip, to remember the star representing Jesus, to focus on the race, keep on keeping on, as Nick used to say. Sometime in our walk, we must think of those who sacrificed their lives for us. They didn't do the things they might have wanted to do, but they obeyed the message that they were handed to do. We can share this message of Jesus with others through our words, our actions, and our time, because in the end, that's what's important. So I look back at these wise men and wonder how much these guys gave up for this trip, their families, their positions, the comforts of home. I know my family lost a lot of time with me because of my commitment to my job and yes, even my commitment to his church. It was for their well-being and mine. But was it worth it? God uses us in various ways, so when you see someone doing something for him, try to understand the price that God gave up so others may become part of his family. I think last week when Kevin spoke about raising children in a Christian home, I think it hit, it hit home pretty hard and uh, kind of deflected some of this message every now and then. How to raise your child in a Christian home? And there's a lot of men that answered that. And I hope we took it to heart and are living up to your own answers. But now back to the wise men. How did they know the star represented, represented the Messiah, the one who was a newborn king of the Jews? And there's three things I have. They could have been Jews who remained in Babylon after the exile and knew the Old Testament predictions of the Messiah coming. They may have been Eastern astrologers who studied Old Testament's manuscripts because of the Jewish exile centuries earlier. A large population still existed there and they would have had, had copies of the Old Testament. Testament, or three, may have had that special message from God directing them to the Messiah. This is the one I like, but that's just me. Notice in the last part of the sentence of Matthew, highlighted is 2, 2. They came to worship. That stood in contrast to the leaders who knew the Holy Scriptures and did not need to travel to find the Messiah. What did they do? They directed them where to go, but didn't follow. When Herod gets wind of these guys and he sends for them, he said with the purpose of to worship him. But he had other thoughts, which you can read in Matthew 2.13 to finish the rest of the story. Because he was not the rightful heir to the throne of David. He was appointed by Rome. Therefore, many Jews hated him. If Jesus had, was, a, uh, was a real ruler, trouble would come. 
Herod was ruthless, and because of his enemies, he was suspicious that someone would try to overthrow him. Herod didn't want the Jews, a religious people, to unite around a religious figure. If these wise men were of Jewish descent and from Parthia, which was a powerful region next to Rome, they would have welcomed the Jewish leader who could swing the balance of power away from Rome. His intent to worship him kind of didn't hold much truth to it. Do we have a Herod in our life? Someone relying on us, depending on us to do the things? But to do the things for all the wrong reasons. Even leading us astray from Christ so that they can be the king of our lives. You see in Matthew 2.6, the paraphrasing scripture from Micah 5.2, where Micah had prophesied that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, which were written seven centuries earlier. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from the old and from ancient times. So they went wearily on their way, and the star reappeared, and they followed it. Once again, this leads to the devotion of finding this child. They had come so far. They were now guests of the king, who seemed to be delighted in the birth of this child. And they thought the child would be in Jerusalem, in a palace. Where else would you expect to find a king? But it was not so. And off to Bethlehem, as they were told. Then the star stops. And all the kids in the car say, Hooray! Oh, that was a different story, sorry. Matthew doesn't say how the star looked, how it moved, how the wise men found the child from the movement and stopping of the star, but Matthew made his point that God had purposely sent this star to guide these men to his son. We read in Matthew 2.10 that they were overjoyed. You know that feeling when someone, something happens in your life and you're just so overjoyed you can't even talk and you just burst into tears? I would like to think this was that kind of moment. Now this has been one to two years since the star appeared. So Jesus wasn't a baby anymore. And his parents were back home living, doing, doing life. And then all of a sudden, a group of people show up. Have you looked out your window and seen all of a sudden three or four cars out front going, well, they can't be coming here. I didn't invite anybody. Yet there they are. The thoughts might have been running through their heads. Now, who could this be? And why are they here? And what is that light? Mary, knowing this was a special child she was raising, and maybe God gave them that inner peace that all was fine. And what do we do? What do these very important men do as they see the child and Mary? Do they have this big announcement of just who they are? I'm the Messiah, or I'm the Magi, 
Um, we're wise men. No, they bow down and worship the king. This is the essence of true worship, honoring Jesus for who he is and being willing to give up what is valuable to you. You. The wise men gave expensive gifts because these were worthy presents for a future king. Gold was a gift for a king. You can see that in Psalm 72, 15. Frankincense is a glittering order's gum obtained from the bark of a certain tree, a gift for deity in Isaiah 66. Mirth is a valuable spice and a perfume from Psalms 45, 8. Also came from tree and was used in embalming. This, it was a gift for a person who was going to die. And you can refer to that in Mark 15, 23 and John 19, 39. So after their visit, God warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. In this story, God reveals his care for his son as a hostile world already was attempting to take the young child's life. In the Gospel of Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, divine intervention is a major theme. Matthew shows us how God superintended Jesus' life in order to accomplish the divine plan. These wise men, wise men astrologers from the east, fell down and worshipped the young king of the Jews, indicating a fulfillment of prophecy. Oh, there's a page missing. Don't panic, Jim. Anyways, in Psalm 72, 10 to 19, and the prophecy concerning Jesus, and we read down multiple things, and made all kings bow down to him, and all nations serve him, for he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold from Sheba be given to him. May the people ever pray for him and bless him all day long. May his name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun. Then all the nations will be blessed through him and they will call him blessed. Praise be to the Lord and the God of Israel who alone does marvelous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. And as we sung this morning of glory, it just hits onto that. This is the child that the wise men went to see and to worship. Not to glorify who they were, but to show the humbleness of recognizing who they were admiring. Maybe that's why their names were never mentioned. So not to put the focus on themselves, and we can learn something from that, on that subject. If we're constantly looking to get patted on the back and praised for everything that we do, it kind of takes the focus off Jesus and puts it on you. And we start seeking the glory. And now that was just the first part of their journey. Then came the second part. Now, go share it. I would like to believe that their trip home had a new excitement of sharing who they saw 
and the prophecy which was written long ago, to see the joy in the faces of those they ran into as they probably traveled farther to get home than they did coming, because they couldn't go back the same way, because they'd have to go by Herod, and he had other plans. They showed us faith, they showed us commitment, and they showed us a willingness to follow God no matter how extreme it seemed at the time. How far out on anything have we stepped that seems remotely extreme? Sharing the gospel sometimes is a long journey for some people. From this, we can look back at our own lives and see how God worked things out and got us through the dark times, but also how we rejoice in situations that were truly a moment of the Holy Spirit confirming our actions. In Isaiah 7:14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and we will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning God with us, who brought light into this dark world and into your dark situation. And in Isaiah 9.6, for us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. This wonderful counselor who walks with us and shows us the way to go, never to leave you, to shoulder the weight for you. And mighty God is not a cute little baby anymore, but God who is over every situation that has ever threatened us. An everlasting Father who will never leave you, never forsake you, abandon you, not withholding from you. And maybe as we think of our earthly fathers, some of us fall into that gap. But God keeps his promises. This Prince of Peace who came and created peace with us, with God, by taking away our sin, then by making peace with one another, and then with the world. Do we have the commitment to do as these wise men did? leave all they had to go on a journey that will end in peace? Or do we expect God to come looking for us to explain himself, to prove who he is and give us gifts? You see that Jesus is all these things above because these are his very nature. But he won't be them to you until you believe in his name. For some of us today that are followers of Jesus, may this be a reminder of who we follow and why. This is not a message to keep to ourselves, but to share and give hope to those who have not yet decided to believe and trust in Jesus. In this little verse in Luke 2.11, very important words, important words of hope. And it goes in today, it's called the 12, 12 most important words that you will hear. And we go from a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. 
Christ came for you. No matter what you're at, where you're at, Christ came for you, a Savior, to get you out of this mess, give you hope, encouragement, strength. It's a verse I like going back to. You have times that you're doubting. A Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And so the second question is, we're starting to wrap this up. The second question now is for you. We have to ask ourselves, am I there yet? Am I at that threshold? Have I surrendered myself to Christ? I've given my very best the thing that he is seeking, my heart. Have I done that? Or am I still on this road heading, looking for Jesus, looking for the Messiah, looking for this baby in a manger? Is this the road that I'm on? Be faithful. It's a worthwhile trip. And the end of it, it will be all worth it. So where? It's a place of surrender. It's a place of peace. It's a place of contentment. And that you can grasp how much you are loved and cared for by our amazing God. Are you there yet?